All right, so again, good morning and welcome to Cold Springs Church. It's fun to be here with you this morning. My name is Nick, if we haven't met before, and uh, this morning we get to continue our series on Nehemiah. Um, and just before we go towards that, I just wanted to, um, you know, both of those camps, uh, Rock and Water and Ford Bible Camp, um, they're, they're camps that Cold Springs Church has uh, participated with and, and um, been a part of on different levels for a number of years. And yeah, I just want to reemphasize, man, like they both do a, such a great job investing in young people. And uh, if you do have the opportunity to um, go and, and participate in the silent auction or support in any way, um, sending kids to one of those places, it's truly, um, it's a place that can be transformational for them. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is that uh, the guy who made the table, his last name is Birch, and I'm pretty sure you're pretty much required to, like, become a woodworker if your last name is Birch and be like, I mean, come on, right? Like, uh, whatever. So so that's cool for Joel. It's a beautiful table. Go check it out. It's, it's really cool. So, um, and Joel's a great guy, so that's awesome too. He's up here. I'm sure it's just me and Joel. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to pray, and then um, uh, once we get going, I would just really encourage you, take out your Bible. Um, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. I didn't load it all up into the presentation because we're going to read through it quickly. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it out, and Nehemiah is just before the midway point of the Bible. It's just before Psalms. It's like if you open your Bible to like right in the middle, you'd probably land in Psalms and go back a couple books, and you'll probably find yourself, well, you'll find yourself in Nehemiah right before Job and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, check that out, um, and you can follow along. We're going to be kind of working our way. We're not kind of. We're going to work our way all the way through Nehemiah chapter 3 um, and, um, and continue in our series where we're looking at uh, what it looks like to partner with God to do the seemingly impossible. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Nehemiah chapter 3. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that uh, you are with us. Uh, Lord, we, again, we want to lift up uh, our uh, brothers and sisters who are serving faithfully over at uh, Rock and Water, Ford Bible Camp. Um, God, we, we just pray that um, you'd be with them this summer. We thank you that, well, we thank you that you are with them this summer. We pray that you would give them the strength and the stamina that they need to um, push all the way through the summer, uh, to finish strong. They're probably about halfway through at this point. Um, and God, I pray for the hearts of the young people who are going to be going to those camps, that you, um, God, we thank you that you're already working in, in their hearts to prepare them for what they're going to experience. We pray for wisdom and discernment on the parts of the, the staff and the volunteers and the counselors and everybody else who are working at the camps, God, that as they're there, that they would be engaging and seeing um, where the young people are at um, as, they, as they come in. And God, that you would give them just the words to speak, the ears to hear um, as they engage with those people. Um, and God, we thank you so much for the people who, who do uh, choose to serve, the ones who, who go and spend their summer um, serving at those camps and serving young people. And God, I also want to lift up, because uh, we have so many people who invest in the lives of young people in our church. Um, and some of them, summer is the peak season, um, and who are involved with, with camps and things like that, God. But there's so many educators here in our church as well who spend their lives investing in young people. And we just, we just want to lift them up to you this summer as well and ask that you would uh, just give them restoration, that you would give them um, God, rest, deep, deep rest, and uh, help them to uh, be rejuvenated and excited to head into this next school year, um, which is still a ways off for them, right? <laughs> um, God, we just thank you again for the time we get to spend together this morning. And as we turn to your word, I pray you just open our hearts up to hear what you have for us this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So the, the, the excitement was, was palpable in the air. I mean, like, it, when people woke up on, on this day, they could feel the electricity that had been building over the days and the time that led up to this day. It, 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 as they looked out their doors and they looked out their windows of their homes in Jerusalem, for the last time, they would see, they would see these broken down walls that no one could do anything about for years and decades and generations. This state that their, their home city, that the place where this temple was built that they could worship their God, that was supposed to be at the heart of their people, Israel. 
and, 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 and this place that was just exposed and vulnerable because it didn't have walls that, that protected it and allowed it to be safe and allowed it to be a place where people could flourish and thrive without the fear of people just coming in and, and, and taking whatever they wanted or, or, or violence or whatever else. These people looked out their windows, came out their doors that day with a newfound excitement, with a sense of today is the day that everything changes. The thing that we thought was impossible is starting today. The thing that we never thought would change, this this burden that was on our shoulders our entire lives, that, that, that was just this underlying anxiety in our lives, is gonna start to lift today. And, and, and as people poured in from the surrounding cities and villages and towns to come alongside of the people of Jerusalem to help them in this labor, the excitement just built and it grew. They had all heard the words of this, of this guy, Nehemiah, of this leader who had come and shared with them the things that God had done in the capital city, 800 miles away, to provide for his people here in Jerusalem to provide the resources, to provide the authority, and to provide the protection that they needed to be able to to, to change their situation, to change the thing that they thought was impossible, to change everything for their lives. And that day they got up, and, 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 and as they went out to build, they looked around, and it was just mind-blowing seeing the number of people who were there who were not from Jerusalem. It was mind-blowing to see how their brothers and sisters, these other Israelites, had come in from those surrounding cities and villages to work alongside of them. Like I said, that excitement level was just huge. And it was a complete 180-degree turn from what they had been experiencing for those years and decades and generations before. You know, this... These, this summer, we're, we're, we're spending time in Nehemiah. And we're looking at what, what it can look like for us to partner with God, to see things that, that we feel like are impossible, to, to see things that we feel like are totally broken, unsalvageable, dead situations. That we can do nothing to change. What it looks like to partner with God to see transformation, to see healing, to see life, to see wholeness come. Because it's not based on our power, but it's based on his. And so this morning, we join these people at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 3. They've just heard this vision from Nehemiah. They've just seen this guy come in, seemingly with all the resources that you could imagine. Everything they were going to need to build this wall, to change the entire reality for this city. They saw this guy come in, and he, and he spoke these words, and he shared with them what God had been doing. And it had ignited a newfound hope in the people of Jerusalem. And as they got to work, this morning we're going to see the story of the workers, of the people, of the people of Jerusalem and the people of the surrounding cities and towns and villages who came to partner together in the work that God had given them to do. This morning, as, 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 we, as we read through this and as we see these things, the thing that I want us to be thinking back to is, is the same thing. Is, man, where are these broken places in our lives? Where are the things that are broken down for us that, that we think are impossible to change, that we think could never be salvaged, that we think could never be transformed, that we think could never come to life? What are those places, what are those what are those, who, who are those people, what are those situations in our lives? And I just hope that we come out of this morning with, 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 with a stronger hope that God is with us. So let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 3. Like I said, if you, if you open your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3. Some of the passages, some of the verses are going to be up on the screen, but a lot of it I didn't put in the presentation because it's just there. And there's Bibles in the back of the chair, and yeah, we can open and read, right? So... Uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, we're just going to check out verse 1 to start, right? Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, 
and they built the sheep gate. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. So just in this first, very first sentence of this chapter, what do we see? What are some, what's a really basic observation here is that, is that man, the high priest got up and got to work. That's an incredible example. The person who had the most spiritual authority, the person who, who, who had the most influence in that city and over the people of Israel, outside of the king that they lived under, this person was the first one to go and get his hands dirty, to start working, and to come alongside of everyone else and, and jump in to the project. And it's interesting, when, when, when we see people who, who are in a position of authority and, and they're willing to jump in next to you, that changes a lot, doesn't it? That changes our, our, our at least for me, that's always a motivating thing that, that, that makes me desire to follow that person more and more. When they're willing to jump in alongside of you. I remember a number of years ago, one of the announcements that they talked about was uh, Mission Placerville that Coral shared earlier. And a number of years ago when we started that, I think we were like three or four years into to running it. And um, we were still trying to get things dialed in as far as like everything that we needed and, and the, the support that we needed and inviting people in to serve and all that kind of stuff. Um, so one of our glaring points of, uh, uh, that we were lacking in was cleanup. We hadn't realized that we needed to intentionally schedule people to be here after everything was done to clean up. So uh, we had gone through the week. Uh, all the kids were gone. Most of the people were gone. And there was just a handful of us, three or four of us, left here uh, finishing the cleanup. And so we're, we're humming away, and I'm going around. And um, my, my wife, Megan, is like, the total detail-oriented person, right? And so she had probably told me that we should schedule people to be there for cleanup, and I had forgotten. I don't know. Whatever, right? <laughs> it's good to listen to your wife. But so here I am. I'm, like, getting trash out, like, trying to take things out, and I realized that the trash can, the, the dumpster out there is just, like, heaped over with trash from the week. And I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And I'm walking around looking at how much more trash we have and all these cans that are around, and... I go in, I check in with the other people who are doing stuff in the kitchen, and they're doing some stuff. And I go back out to get some of the trash bags, and one of them's gone. I'm like, whoa, someone else took it. And so I walk out, and I go over and look at the dumpster. And over on top of the dumpster, jumping up and down on the trash bags to compact the trash in the dumpster, is Pastor David. Like, just jumping in to literally the dirtiest job available <laughs> in the cleanup process, literally in the dumpster, jumping up and down, compacting the trash, <laughs> because he saw a need, and he was willing to serve. And his heart is that of a servant. And this example that Eliashib sets as the high priest, that he is willing to go and do the work alongside of everyone else. It leaves no excuse for anyone else. It leaves no excuse for anyone else to, to feel like they're above the job. That this work is below their station or their status. It's so motivating to serve alongside of people who, who, who are willing to get in alongside of you. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and it says in, in verse 1 here, Then Eliashib the high priest rose with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred as far as the Tower of Hananel. And so they, they, they go and they complete this first section of the wall and these gates and, and, and they do this work. And the high priest and his brothers, the priests, just as God has called his people to do with any fruit of their labor, whatever they plant in the fields, whatever livestock that they raise up, whatever that they're producing, that God encourages them to give kind of the first fruits of those things, to offer those things up. And here's, here's what God is calling people to do in, 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 the, in the lives of Israel and, and, and us as his followers. Is that as we go and we work, is that we take the first fruits and we, we, we hold them out to him. We say, Lord, this is yours. I trust that you are the one who provides for me. And I don't need to hold on to all of the things because I'm afraid of not having enough. But in fact, the very first of what I have, I'm going to offer to you. 
And that's what they do in this project. They hold out the first fruits of this labor. And you can imagine as, as, they, as they were sent out around the walls, as they, as, they, as they were sent out, and all these people and all these work crews are sent out, scattered around the city to these different sections of walls. You could imagine looking around and seeing Nehemiah directing all these people, supplying the resources where they're needed, directing people to go and help where it's needed. As we're going to see in just a little bit, there's going to be people who do all kinds of different things as a trade. There's perfumers, there's goldsmiths, there's, there's, there's all kinds of people who do all kinds of different things who are building this wall. And the beautiful thing is, is that the high priest leads the way in holding out this labor to them. And not saying, look at us. Look at what we've done as a people. Look at this wall that we've built. But instead saying, God, here's what you have made possible. Here's the thing that you have done. How easy is it for us to, to, to look at our accomplishments and look at the things that God has done in us and, and through us in our lives and to start to take credit. And to start to say, look at what I've done. Look how far I've come. Look at the things that I've accomplished. And subtly, we start, we start to, to elevate ourselves above God. We start to take credit instead of praising God and allowing allowing other people to see that. So we see, we see the priest just leading the way in this incredible example. And then we're going to get the anti-example immediately after that, all right? So let's keep reading. Verse 2. It says, And next to them, or excuse me, next to him, Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassana built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. That's a phrase we're going to hear a lot of today. <laughs> There's a lot of gates. And next to them, Meribah, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshalem, the son of Berechiah, son of uh, Meshavazel, something like that. Listen, uh, as far as I know, there's no ancient Hebrew speakers alive today to tell us how these things are actually pronounced. So if anyone tells you you're mispronouncing a biblical name, just be like, hey, listen, get over it, all right? Like, say it with confidence, and they can deal with it, okay? Like, I speak Hebrew. Congratulations. All right. So Berakai, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not blah, blah, blah. But and next to them, Merimoth, Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. It's just, it's, it's pretty repetitive. But it's all important. And next to them, Misholem, the son of Berakai, son of Mishbel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So verse 5, we see this group of people from this place called Tekoa, and they've come to serve, and they've come to be a part of what's happening in Jerusalem, to be a part of what God is doing among his people. But the nobles from their city said, we're not, that's, that's not us. Listen, we'll send our people to go and serve. We'll send our people to go and get their hands dirty and to do the work of building the wall. But we're, that's below us. We're the nobles of the city. We're not into that. It's interesting how directly Nehemiah calls those people out and speaks to their heart. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. There's almost a, not almost, there's a sense of disdain that's, that's, that's written in there. How could you expect me to go and do that? It's crazy. Like, these people, they're, they're, they're saying, I'm not going to bend my neck. I'm not going to submit myself to go and serve the Lord. And it's this, like I said, exactly opposite example. Meanwhile, the high priest of Israel is there working away. But these people think that they're better, that they're too good for that, that this job is below them. There's no way that they're going to go do that. It's, it's such an eye-opening thing. We see this beautiful example of leadership and humility juxtaposed against this example of what getting full of ourselves and pride and status when those things come together. What happens? 
where Jesus talks about what it looks like to be a true leader. It's interesting because this situation where some of his followers, Jesus is headed, he's actually, he's teaching about things of the kingdom just before he's going to go to the cross. It's kind of a final block of teaching that, that he shares in the, in the gospel of Matthew, that Matthew records for us. And, and, and he's talking about what, what, what the kingdom is going to look like as it comes. And, and, and this sense of anticipation is building. And, and, and of course, his followers think that, that what his kingdom is going to look like in this moment is that he's going to go into Jerusalem. He's going to become king. He's going to kick the Romans out. He's going to reestablish Jerusalem as the center of power. And that he's going to be king. And that they, as his followers, are going to be his entourage. They're going to be his closest confidants. And in that spirit, we see in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, his, his disciples, two of the three, along with Peter, who were the closest to Jesus, says, And the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, referring to Jesus, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what, what do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. James and John and their mother come in looking for status, looking for authority, and looking for the privilege that's going to be provided them in those positions. Their heart in this moment is more reflective of the nobles of Tekoa than of the one that they've been following for the past three years. And Jesus' response is so instructive. And it's so beautiful. And, and honestly, we see that th this is a life-changing moment for these two because they, they live out exactly what he said, okay? So what do you want, Jesus asked her. She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are, are, are to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able I'm sure he's looking at the sons. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. Very confident in this moment. <laughs> he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. And then when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them. So you can imagine all the rest of the, the 12 who have been following Jesus along with these two, they're like, hey, wait a second. Like, you're trying to jump in line? You're trying to, like, like, are you trying to be the rulers over us? And they're like, well, yeah, we are. So, so they're indignant. Because here's the deal, is they all had designs on those two positions. They were all hoping to sit at the right hand, at the left hand. So they're indignant. Jesus calls to them, and he says, listen, he says, you know that the rulers of, of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Listen, this isn't about authority. This isn't about privilege. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, listen, this isn't about status and privilege and position and power. What this is about is that the greatest in my kingdom is going to be the one who lays himself down. And he actually goes on to say later, he says, listen, true love has no one than this in John 15, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. It's not about gaining position and status and authority and power, but it's about going and leveraging, selflessly leveraging your resources, everything at your disposal on, for, for the benefit of the people around you. We're in need. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Taking the very greatest resource he has, his very life, and laying it down as a servant to serve and to love the people around him. The high priest, Elisha, got that picture. He got that message. He saw the vision. 
He understood what God, the love of God looked like, what it looked like to serve. The nobles of Tekoa did not. They didn't understand humility. Paul would explain the level of humility of Jesus in, in, in a beautiful way in, in, in his letter to the church in Philippi. Later in the New Testament, the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3 and on, it says this. It says, do nothing from rival, rivalry or conceit. So think about that situation with the disciples. Think about this contention that comes up among them. They're like, wait, you're, you're, you're asking for that? I want it. Okay. Paul says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So think about that first part there. And think about the people in Tekoa who are living in a different city, not in Jerusalem. Their lives aren't at risk. Their livelihood isn't at risk. And they're like, why would we go to serve when it's not directly going to benefit me in my day-to-day life? I'm sure that they weren't the only ones. They get hammered on here for all of eternity. I'm sure that there are other people in Israel who, who have that same attitude, who said, why would I go and do this thing that doesn't have a day-to-day benefit for me? Why would I give up my time, my resources, everything else to go and serve? And Paul says, listen, that's not what the kingdom, just like Jesus said. Paul kind of expands on that thought, and he says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others, having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, but Jesus is God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sets this example of humility and what that looks like for us. That not only is he willing to come and, and set aside his rights and his privileges as God and, 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 and become, become born into human form, to experience life and the limitations and the heartbreaks and the, the things and, the, and all the things that we experience. He came to lay himself down. Not only, not only did he come to experience those things, but he came to lay himself down. It says in verse, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what true humility looks like, that we are willing to leverage everything that we have for the benefit of those around us, that we selflessly leverage those things. And Jesus is the most beautiful example of that. Now we're going to see a list of many, many people <laughs> and houses. And I, I just, we're, we're going to fly through this next section as fast as I can pronounce the names. <laughs> And we're, we're going to stop and make a couple observations at a certain point. But I just want to read through this. I want you to take in who are these people, where are they coming from, and what, what's their normal occupations? What are their normal occupations, okay? How many of these people are builders, construction workers, people who have expertise in the trades, <laughs> who you maybe would hire to build a wall that wouldn't fall over immediately? So here we go. Starting in verse 6, it says, Joida, the, the son of Pesah, the son of Meshalem, the son of Besodia, uh, repaired the gate of Yashana. They, they laid its beams, set its bolt doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatiah, the, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and, and, and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the, the son of Herahiah, Hera- goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, 
Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to, next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Haram, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatchish, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the tower and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halosheth, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun, the inhabitants of Zenoah, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Harakim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hoseth, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani, next to him, Hashbaiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavi, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the, the ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the Beth Buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Z- uh, Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door to the house of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests and the men of the surrounding areas. Got to turn the page. Here we go. <laughs> they repaired. After them, Benjamin and, and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, uh, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Halal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living on, on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate to the east and, pro- and the projecting tower. After him, get this, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. So I want to take just a moment and make a couple observations. First of all, there seems to have been no, uh, no resume that was required to sign up to be a part of the project. We have people from perfumers to goldsmith. We have men and women and everybody working together to see this thing accomplished. We have everyone with one mind coming together to do this. I don't know if you've ever built some type of ongoing structure or wall or fence or anything, but could you imagine like having this many groups of people all building sections and they all actually join together and build one structure all the way around? This is a miraculous feat. This is an insane thing that's going on, that this many people with this little experience, for the most part, are building this thing and making it happen. But here's something else. We have these people, the Tekoites, and I want to think about them for just a moment, a little bit more. They repaired another section in verse 27, opposite the great projecting towers, tar- far as the wall of Ophel. Here's these people who, the people who were in influence over them, the nobles in their city, they stuck their nose up at this project. They said, we're above this. We don't want to engage in this. We don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to submit to what God is doing for whatever reason. Maybe they thought they had a better plan. Maybe they thought it would never work. Maybe they just thought, you know what, this doesn't really impact me in my day-to-day life, so why would I go do that? We don't know. But what we do know is that the people who lived under them 
in their city. That did not hinder them from going and doing what God was calling them to do. That didn't keep them, hold them back from chasing after the things that God was putting in front of them. In spite of the poor leadership over them, they continued to serve. In spite of, 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 of the poor example and the attitude towards God, the people who were above them, by the world's standards, they pushed forward. So what if we find ourselves in a place where, where, where the people who are in influence or authority over us, they won't participate in kingdom work? What if we find ourselves in a place where, where, where we feel like we're, we're on our own pursuing after kingdom work? Here's, here's my little bit of advice. Pray for them, number one. Don't be bitter. Don't be like, whatever. Pray for them. Pray that God would transform their hearts because you can't do it. But number two is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Just because the people around you aren't pursuing after what God has for them or whatever that may look like, Maybe, they, maybe they're believers, maybe they're not believers, maybe whatever it is, just because they're not pursuing after it doesn't mean that you shouldn't and you can't. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes the church in Ephesus. In verses 8 through 10, he says this, he says, For by grace you have been saved, and it's, it's through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. You see, these people are experiencing a grace of God moment in their lives. They're experiencing a moment in their lives where, where God is extending them grace, a free gift here in Nehemiah, and they're rejecting it. It's quite noble. But there's so many other people who are leaning into it. And here's what Paul goes on to write right after he talks about salvation, how it's a gift, a free gift from God, not of our own doing, that no one can boast. He says this in 9 and 10, or excuse me, in 10, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. He says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. See, here's the reality is that no matter where you're at, no matter who is over you and who's in position of authority or influence over you and whatever they're speaking over your life, Whatever they're telling you about the impact that you can have, about the things that you can or cannot do, about who you are, that's not their place. Because your Father in heaven has spoken over you who you are. And if their words don't align with his words, my suggestion for you is to listen to God <laughs> much more than you listen to them. I'm not saying to be disrespectful. I'm not saying to be whatever else. Like I said, pray for them. Pray for them. But you listen to what the Word of God has to say about who you are. You listen to what the Word of God has to say about what you're called to do. You listen to what the Word of God has to say about what, alongside Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can accomplish in your life. Don't listen to voices that are tearing you down and telling you you're not enough and you're not good enough and what's the point and people have tried that before and, and it didn't work out and whatever else. If God is calling you to do something, if God is opening a door in front of you, you can walk through it with confidence knowing that he is with you. So we see these people doing that, to Koites. And we see them coming and working even harder <laughs> which is pretty incredible. They get their names, they get mentioned twice in the passage. Pretty cool. In verse 28 goes on, it says, above the, whole, uh, above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, and keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Mishalem, it's interesting, like, that guy's the only one that's mentioned. Oh, by the way, he had six sons. Okay, cool. 
There we go. All right. It says, After him, Mishalom, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So we have all these people working. And going back to that moment in that day where they all get started, and you can imagine as the days continue and the work continues and people are getting things done, and you're working side by side, one group after another, and you can see the progress. You can look to your right and to your left, and you can see the progress that people are making, the motivation that that provides. God wants us to do our faith, to, to live out our faith in him in community. God's invitation to us to live out our faith is into community. God himself exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in community. We're created in his image to experience that community. We can't do it alone. And these people joined together and got this incredible thing done. They're not quite done yet. They're getting started, though. But spoiler alert, they do get it done, right? So just, you know, whatever. But they go ahead, they get it done, and it, it, it's because working together, they have this mutual accountability. Every day when they go to work, they look over to their left and to their right, and they see their brothers and sisters working hard alongside of them. And that's how God calls us to come alongside of one another as his people in his kingdom here in our, in our church as brothers and sisters of Christ in our community, and as brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. God calls us to come alongside of one another, to motivate each other forward, to spur one another on. And we see that. We see this mutual accountability, this mutual dependence, that, that apart from one another, this, this wall, if there's one weak spot in the wall, it's rendered useless. So you can imagine these people running around and getting things done and the excitement that just pours out. You know, if, if, if Nehemiah had come in and he said, okay, uh, since he was a government official and everything, right? If he did it the government way, came in and he was like, all right, we have the money, uh, we, we have the budget, so uh, we're going to take bids now. Can we get the lowest bidder to uh, accomplish this project? Like, Nehemiah wasn't the government guy. <laughs> he was the government guy, but he wasn't the government guy. He didn't take bids. He came in, and it's amazing what got done when everybody came together in unity. And it's amazing what we can do as followers of Jesus here today. When we look around our world and we see the brokenness and we see the pain and we see the, the, the places that need restoration and need hope and need life where there's death, and we ask ourselves, where's my spot? How can I contribute? How can I give? How can I move towards that thing, that brokenness? And as we do that together, it's amazing the things that we can get done as we work together. And Jesus talks about that. He actually prays about that and what the world sees when we come together. I'm going to look at that. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this. He says, as he prays to his father, right before he goes to the cross, he prays for first himself, he prays for his followers, his disciples, and then he turns to pray for those who will come to him through their word, which is us. Those who believe in Jesus through the word of scripture. He says, I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In John 17, verse 20, he says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What more could scream that there's something different about us as followers of Jesus if instead of identifying ourselves together based on some type of, of status or physical attribute or location or, or whatever else, that we come together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are united as one and celebrating our, our, our differences and the things that, that are different about us in the body of Christ, but still moving together with one purpose of seeing God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What more could scream into this current cultural moment that there's something different, there's something true and beautiful happening there? 
that could draw people to God and that could reveal people to people the heart of God. Jesus goes on to pray. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. What Jesus is saying is, look, when we come together as the church and we move towards those broken places and we move towards those impossible things that only through God can they be restored or healed, that the world sees him in that. The world sees the image of God reflected in us. And it helps them to believe in who God is, that he exists, and that even that he loves them, even as he loves his own son. When was the last time you just sat and thought about that last little truth right there? You are loved by your Father in heaven just as much as he loves his son, Jesus. The same amount of love that is pouring from the Father toward the Son is pouring out towards you and is pouring out towards me. It's pretty incredible. And we get to partner in, in, in seeing that pour out into the world. Jesus invites every single believer to play a role in seeing the kingdom come. He gives us our explicit instructions. He shows us our wall, our, 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 our wall of Jerusalem, our Nehemiah's wall, that he puts in front of us, the impossible task that we are to fulfill, that we can only fulfill with him. Just before Jesus ascends back into heaven, he says, says in Matthew 28, verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee after Jesus had died. This is my editorial part. After Jesus had died and been resurrected, okay, he's appeared to them many times at this point, and now it says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus gives them this impossible task to do. What if, thinking back to Nehemiah, what if Nehemiah had shown up, he had been like, hey, I brought all the wood, I brought all the materials, I brought all the stuff, here's the people, okay, yeah, you guys go do your thing, all right, yep, I'll see you guys later, I'm going to be back at the Capitol eating the king's food, it's a pretty sweet life, so I'm going to be back over there, and uh, if you run into any problems, just write me, it's an 800-mile journey by animal, so, like, it's not going to take that long. The letter will get to me eventually, and then I'll write back to you and tell you what you should do. Imagine if Nehemiah had done that, but he didn't. He was like, I'm here with you. And just like Nehemiah was there with them in the work, in the process, Jesus is here with us. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, here's what I'm leaving for you to do. As you follow me, I want you to go make disciples of, of all the nations. Baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. He doesn't say, now go get them. I'm out of here. See you later. Let me know when you're done. If you uh, run into any problems, just shoot up a quick prayer and maybe I'll get back to you. That's not what he says. He says, teaching them all to, to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't leave us alone to do the work that he's called us to do. The impossible things that we see around us that we can't do on our own, Jesus doesn't leave us on our own to do those things. As we see those things and we're moved and we respond to the needs of the world around us, to the hands and feet of Jesus, Jesus is with us in those spaces, in those moments. He is the one that's working to bring transformation. He is the one that's working to bring life, just as he was the one that moved in the king's heart to release those resources and the authority to build that wall. He is present with us in the things that he calls us to do. When we look around at the world around us, it would be really easy to get overwhelmed and give up because things sometimes just seem so bad. 
things seem so desperate and seem so hopeless. There's moments when we just, it's, it'd be very easy to get overwhelmed and be like, you know what, God, if this is what it is, then I'm not even sure I want any part of it. And to give in and say, you know what, I think I'm going to make my own way. I think I'm going to determine my own reality. I think I'm going to be the one that says right and wrong, that makes my own path and everything else. But what Jesus says is, Lord, like, like I'm with you. I'm with you in the midst of those moments where you're ready to give up. Don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Jesus invites us to join him in bringing life and restoration and healing to the broken and dead places. The question that we have to answer is, who are we going to be like? Are we going to reflect Eliashib, the high priest, and the people of Tekoa? Or are we going to be more reflective of the nobles of Tekoa and say, oh, that's for somebody else to do. That's below me. Let me tell you something. All the good, all the blessings, the, the adventure, the life of adventure that God has for you is on the side of what the priest did and the people of Tekoa. God's going to be with you every step of the way as you step into that adventure, as you step towards that brokenness. Who are we going to be like? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you don't leave us on our own to deal with the things, the brokenness, the fallenness, the sin of this world, but that you walk with us every step of the way, and that, in fact, you are the one who is making your kingdom come, and it's up to us to say yes and to step towards the broken walls and the broken down things that we see around us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to be like the people of Tekoa and not the nobles of Tekoa, that we would be like the priest, the high priest Eliashib and, and the other priests and all these other people who flooded in, who laid down maybe what, what was most obviously at their best interest. To, to, they laid down their resources to benefit everybody else around them. God, I pray that we would be like that, that you would give us a heart to see the needs around us, we would break our hearts. We wouldn't be numb to it, Lord. God, forgive me for all the times that I'm, I'm numb to the brokenness and the hurting around me. God, help me to see and respond to the needs of the world around me with your heart, as your hands and feet. And God, as we do that together, may people see who you are and may they see that they are loved by you just as much as you love yourself. I pray these things in your name. Amen.